0: This morning our scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 37 the first four verses Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien the land of Canaan this is the story of the family of Jacob Joseph being 17 years old was shepherding the flock with his brothers he was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah his father's wives and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children, because he was the son of his old age. And he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God so often when we have conflict whether it's in the scripture or other places it's two groups of people who are fighting with one another and often they demonize one another they dehumanize the other they separate themselves so they can justify and tolerate the conflict and say how different they are from the other party but in this story today it's not two separate groups of people in fact the story today it is all one big family These people are all related. Now, they live in a very different time than we do, and we recognize differences in terms of how they live compared to what we do and what we think of as normal today. But there's also some commonalities. I think there are some things here we can learn as we look at this story closer. So this saga in Genesis, or this cycle of stories, is all about the extended family tree of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the patriarchs or the ancestors who have kept this covenant with God that the scriptures refer to as YHWH, or we often say Yahweh. They keep this covenant with God alive, this relationship with God alive that's going to be extended as we learn more and more about who God is as we read about these different characters who are having these experiences with God as we read through the scriptures. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are key to all of this. And we've been reading their stories. Today, we're extending this story of Jacob. As we read in verse 2, it says, this is the story of the family of Jacob. So Jacob is the living patriarch now. Abraham and Isaac are gone. Jacob is the head of this clan You'll remember from the stories, perhaps we've read the last few weeks, that when he was looking for a wife, he cut a deal with his uncle to work seven years for Rachel, the woman he loved. But after seven years, his uncle tricked him, and rather than marrying Rachel, he got Leah, the older sister. So then he had to work another seven years to be able to receive as a wife the woman that he loved So 14 years then he works for a while for his uncle finally they all leave and depart but one of the things that comes with these two daughters of his uncle his two wives or two maids they also become wives so there's children in this family from all of them two from Rachel two from each of the maids then six from Leah so 12 children by the time we get here we have already learned back in chapter 35 that Rachel dies right after she gives birth to the 12th son, Benjamin. But you might imagine with so many people in a family that there would be rivalries, jealousy, and strife between the wives and between their children. And that's exactly what the story's been telling us about. This strife has been building. We get another hint of it here in the second part of verse 2 as they begin to tell us about Joseph joseph being 17 years old was shepherding the flock with his brothers he was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and zilpah those are the two maids that became wives his father's wives and joseph brought a bad report of them to their father now israel which is jacob loved joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age because he was the son of his old age but that can be a little bit confusing because joseph isn't the last son born that's actually benjamin joseph is the first child that jacob and rachel have together after much waiting and long suffering so much in fact that they have all but lost hope that they're ever going to have children Rachel becomes pregnant, it's surprise, and she has Joseph, and maybe, since we already know from the text, that she is the favorite wife, maybe this firstborn son is also the favorite son. The text says it's because it's the child of his old age, but rightly, that would be Benjamin, he would be older when Benjamin was actually born. So we cannot be sure one way or another. But we can be sure that they have struggled to have children. And yet the covenant promises from God included this idea that they would be blessed with children and land and wealth, that their descendants would be many. So when one of the women, one of the key women is barren, it's a problem. But now they've had this child, Joseph, the firstborn. He becomes the favorite. He is their favorite child. But during this, what we notice as we read about these covenant promises, if you go all the way back with Abraham and Sarah or Isaac and Rebekah, and then here, Jacob and Rachel, they all struggle to have children. They all experience these, these times of waiting where basically they lose hope that God is going to be faithful, that they're going to be able to have descendants. And then about the time all hope is lost, the child, the long-promised child, is born. So I want us to notice this pattern that happens when we read these scriptures. Waiting is always part of the experience. Waiting is always a part of the experience they all have to wait for these promises to be fulfilled for them to experience the fullness and the blessing remember they are to be blessed with all of this so that they can be a blessing to the world that god might bless all the nations through these covenant partners so joseph is born joseph becomes the favorite child but joseph also becomes the fulcrum of the conflict and the controversy that's stirring in this family. This story is about to get really ugly. We get a hint of it in verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more, that is, loved Joseph more than all his other brothers, they hated him. It says it right there. They hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. They don't even want to see this guy. There is so much animosity brewing in this family. But before we get into all the hate and the conflict, let's take a moment to think together about waiting since it is a repetitive theme throughout this cycle of stories. This week when I was thinking about waiting I was thinking about the Christian liturgical calendar and how we have seasons that we talk about as seasons which we wait. We begin the liturgical year with the season of Advent, four weeks before Christmas, and it's a season in some ways of waiting and preparation then we have a couple of weeks for Christmastide and then Epiphany for about six weeks. Then we move into Lent, another season of waiting. Only six weeks, though, before we're ready to celebrate Easter. Then the Sundays after Easter, about seven weeks. And then we celebrate Pentecost. And then we move into the time we're in now that the liturgical calendar refers to as ordinary time. But in terms of length of time, it's actually longer than Advent or Lent, which are the seasons of preparation and waiting, the seasons of introspection and self-reflection. Ordinary time for a preacher becomes a long time, and rather than six weeks, six months, it goes through the summer and into the fall until we're ready to begin again. It raises a question for us. How are we living While we are waiting in the ordinary every day of our lives, where is God in all of that? How do we approach God? How do we open ourselves to hear God or to interact with God? All of us are experiencing a sense of greater waiting as we deal with this pandemic. If you've been wanting to see family members and you haven't been able to, I bet you're ready to. If you've lost a job and you're having to wait until after the pandemic to get another one, I bet you're ready to have it. If you've had to close your business temporarily because of this virus, I imagine you're really ready to be open again for business. We're in a season that's exasperated with waiting and the uncertainty of knowing how long makes it all the more difficult. So how do we live as people of faith, as Christians, during a time of extended waiting? It made me think of prayer, and how often prayer is a time of waiting. Oh, we pray for someone to be healed, but then usually we have to wait. We pray, help us, Lord, but then usually it's a time of waiting, We often pray for discernment, but it takes some time so very often before we can see the way where God is leading us. It's a time of waiting. Even in prayer, I find once people sort of express their concerns and cares to God, they struggle then to sit still and wait or listen for an answer. They struggle to keep paying attention over what may be hours or days or weeks or months or even years for god to respond i find i'm not too good at waiting even for god we live in a culture that tells us we can have it instantly and we want it now and often we begin to think about god in the same way but the scriptures are so clear That our relationship with God is something we have to nurture over time. And waiting is a part of the deal. Now, the waiting is not the good news in and of itself. But the good news comes when we recognize that people grow in their relationship with God through the waiting. There was a grandmother who was very fond of her five-year-old granddaughter. She boarded a train and traveled across the country to be with this granddaughter for a time. The other grandmother from the other side of the family had been there for a couple of weeks, and then she was coming next. She tells the story of when she got there, it's the first morning, and her granddaughter comes in that morning. Or maybe we should say she comes in during the night. It was 5 a.m., Grandma says, that this five-year-old climbs into her bed and snuggles up against her and waits just a minute to make sure she's awake. And then she whispers a message to her. She says, Grandmother, can we just do away with all the God talk and get on with life? Apparently, the first grandmother was very serious about religion and told this five-year-old all about it. But she was ready for some action. She went on to say, Grandmother, I believe God is everywhere. So can we do more than talk? Eugene Peterson, pastor, author, and spiritual theologian, Bible translator of the Message Bible, tells this story in one of his books. And then he writes some reflections about what he thinks is going on. I want to read a couple of sentences to you. This is what he writes. What the young girl was onto was that life is the country that Christians live in, frequently named in the Psalms as the land of the living. She understood that when the life leaks out, we are left with nothing. But God talk. I want to suggest to you this morning that perhaps in ordinary times, sometimes when we're waiting, we kind of let the life leak out, and we're not living to the fullest, and all we are left with is talk about God. I wonder about this time of separation and remote viewing for worship and other things if we're ending up talking about God and missing the experience of god's presence with us so often when i talk with people about unanswered prayer or when their lives are not going the way they had hoped not unfolding the way they had imagined what has happened is they've lost patience with god they have sort of already given up and decided maybe there is no god or god's not there for them or they're being punished in some way but i think what's happening is in some ways they mistake God for a celebrity. They sort of see God as somebody who's done something important or noteworthy to talk about somewhere else in the past probably, but not someone they ever expect to really personally know. But what the Scriptures tell us over and over is that God is with us. And so it's good to wait patiently. It's good to continue to wait for God to come in a way that we can experience God's love and presence and power with us. How do you handle the ordinary time? How do you handle this time of waiting even when you don't know how long you're going to have to wait? Do you live now, though, with that expectation of, God being with you, of the presence of God being with you wherever you are and the expectation that you can experience God just like the five-year-old wanted to in her everyday experience. Let's get on with life, she's saying, knowing that God is with us. Henry Nouwen, the great spiritual author, writer, Roman Catholic priest, writes this. He's talking about waiting and expectation. He asks, how do we wait for the promise to be fulfilled? He says, we wait with patience. But patience does not mean passivity. Waiting patiently is not like waiting for the bus to come, the rain to stop, or the sun to rise. It is an active waiting in which we live the present moment to the fullest in order to to find there the signs of the one we are waiting for. Are you someone who is continuously looking, trying to discern where God is in your life, trying to discern what God is up to in your interior, trying to see where God might be wanting to utilize you to work through you, looking for God to lead you? Maybe this time of pandemic can be a time to learn more about God, To grow in our discernment and our trust of God. Let me close with this. These are words from now and again. He says a way to rephrase waiting patiently in expectation is standing vulnerable in the presence of our loving God. He writes this is the core of all prayer. He writes about himself this way. When I pray, he says, I am living my life before God, doing what I know to do, offering my thoughts and actions to the Holy One in expectation that I am being led where I need to go. And will be given the courage to do what I need to do because I know who I am in God. Because I know who I am in God. There's so many insights for us in those words from Henry Nouwen, but it's also an apt description of Joseph later in this same chapter his father sends him on an errand to go see his brothers to check on them they're out with the sheep but when they see him coming this hate that we read about in our text today erupts as they conspire to kill him they've decided they would just get rid of him by killing him but then before they carry out the execution they see a caravan coming and another one says you know what we could profit From him as well. What if we sell him to these fellows? They'll carry him off. That'll get rid of him. And so they do that. And then they deceive their father into believing that he has been killed by wild animals. Joseph's journey is going to be full of ups and downs from here on out. But the amazing thing about Joseph is that he continues to look for God in all of his experiences, in his dreams, in his advancements, in his setbacks throughout his life. He's trying to figure out, what is God up to now? What is God doing in my life? And he has to wait a long time before he can see how God's going to redeem all these experiences, how God is going to bring good out of all these terrible things the Scriptures tell us about that happened to Joseph during his life. Well, we're going to read more of his story next week. We'll have to wait till then to see how this unfolds. But while we wait, let's try expectant waiting in the presence of our ever-loving God. Amen, and thanks be to God.